0: This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Yuaki Maxxon, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. I um, don't have a lot planned for today, but... Okay. Here's the first thing I'm going to talk about. I get so angry now. I do. And I think... I'm starting to think that it is a new form of running away from my emotions. Because it gets worse when I'm more anxious. And it's really actually a thing that is really good at blanketing out my anxiety. And it is like a weird passive form of what is it? It's a really passive form of anger where like, I'm not yelling in anyone's face. But like, I have little conflicts, and then people don't handle it the way I want them to and I find a flaw in their behavior and I find something that objectively is like something where someone did something fucked up but it's small and then I choose to hyper fixate on that and get so fucking up on my high horse about what a piece of shit person they are because like they didn't do their job perfectly and then I get so angry and then I just sit at my house And my mind just cannot stop ruminating on how, like, it is like rumination, but it is anger. It's just, I'm just steaming. I'm just stewing. I'm just a crock pot, you know, the whistle is going. I'm just an Instapot, full of anger, cooking up some anger. And it's like, I get so, I'm so mad. And it takes, I spend so much time on it. And It's really like I spent the last few weeks, especially I spent so much time just like being angry and thinking about like, how can I handle this person so that they don't do the thing? And then it took me like, it wasn't until just in the last few days that I realized that I just pick a new thing to be really angry about. And I change things every six days. And I it's like a slot in my brain, right? The slot, it's like there's one slot. There's room for one thing to be angry about. And there's very little like um, proportion to it where really if two people in front of me are kind of fucking up a little bit and I should be a little bit annoyed with both of them, there's like absolutely zero proportion there where I choose to be a little bit annoyed with both of them. Instead, I just hyperfixate on what one randomly, arbitrarily, and I become furious with them and i just sit at home quietly and i'm just mad at them and it's like i text them about it and then they text me back wrong and i'm like they texted me back wrong it's like they're wrong and then i and then it yeah but really i should pray for them you know really i should like there's a thing i'm going to ha- i'm going to have a conflict tomorrow about a thing and it's like bro what the fuck am I supposed to do? I know that if I talk about the thing, the thing is going to get me to be very upset. And it's not a good look. It's not useful. Like, if the if the idea is that I really care about the problem or whatever, and that the person is really fucking up the problem, me being extremely angry and emotional about it is really not like... Like, if I saw myself from the outside and I was like, that person is so fucking emotional and we're trying to solve a problem here and that person's a piece of shit, I would pick that person and be like, that's the person I w-. Like, if I met myself, I would pick myself as the person to be angry about. Like, I'd be pissed off at me all day. Because I'm kind of a piece of shit. Um, yeah. But so, um, it's so, yeah... It's, it's almost like this podcast is turning into this list of like, <clears throat> the OG distraction is drugs and alcohol. Like I always feel bad and anxious and drugs and alcohol is just such a straight line between point A and point B where you're like, yep, I'm trying not to feel my emotions. So let's do drugs and alcohol. And then <clears throat> there was always a lot of other things in the mix throughout the years even when I wasn't, like, super, super sober. But after I got sober, the list, can we remember them all? Do I have any Sparkling Water Super fans out there that can remember all the fucked-up addictions that I've cycled through? One was, like, video games, phone games. One was the, vid- the phone game Egg Inc. And then one was that eating really, really spicy habanero peppers that make my entire skin crawl on my entire body. That was one that made me run away from my emotions when i worked at five hooks fish grill and i made all my coworkers eat spicy habaneros with me and everyone had to cuz they were my subordinates and i fucking pressured them into it and it was and it was fucked up um and then it was like dating apps and a sort of like lust addiction or love addiction or whatever of just like infatuation cycling through infatuations And how distracting that is. And then like the big video games. And then the news. And then I realized recently, as recently as last week, I realized that I'm actually playing way too much chess. And then now I'm realizing that I have an anger problem. And it's so confusing because it's so... It feels so different from what it is. Like, it's so delusional. You're angry and you think you believe that the thing you're angry about... You you have this belief about the world that there's like an injustice and your feeling is directed towards the injustice. You know? Oh, this server is doing a shit job. And then they don't respond correctly when I fucking try to correct them. And then they text me back the wrong way and everything fucking sucks. And I'm so hyper fixated on how shitty they are. And then it's like, well, that's completely delusional. Like reality is that there's someone like trying their best. They're not super experienced. They're way better than I used to be. And they like make a small mistake and then they're just like trying in real time to talk about it. But, but there's a lot of distractions and emotions and they're kind of defensive. And I just hook on, latch on to any mistake they make in posture where they're not just like apologizing to me aggressively. And so I'm livid. And my belief about the world and like my hyperfixation and my anger, I think I'm like this useful person trying to being so committed to something and my anger is so justified and there's this object of my anger and I have this entire worldview of what I believe of how it is but really it's like dude this person is like chilling and trying to do their best and doing a pretty good job and and they're just a person with their own stuff you know and then there's me and I'm just such a dick you know just such a dick And yeah. And it's not real. It's like a very sticky worldview. It's very hard to get away from it. You know, you spend a amount of time being angry towards something. And anger is like really self-perpetuating. Cause the grooves in the mind, like you come up with a narrative about why you're angry and it makes you like angrier. And then your mind gets really comfortable in the grooves of that story and the grooves get deeper and you just go round and round and it gets really circular and the angry groove gets really, really deep. And it's, and then you have a realization somewhere that it's like, bro, you are delusional. Like this does not warrant this amount of anger and this is a small thing. But then the sticky worldview of... How incredibly angry you should be. Like that worldview is so, it's so hard to untangle yourself from it. It's incredible. So I I really have to work on that. I really have to work on that. Because it's not a good look. But I do think that I am getting, I don't know which word to use. Jaded feels very um, loaded. And just just managing be, be, being a manager and having diffu- difficult conversations many per week, it's making like I would have before I said this to Maddie today. Before I would, I would, um, I would have one and I would ruminate about it for three weeks. But now I'll I'll have multiple per week, and it just makes it so that the volume of everything is turned down a little bit. And maybe one day I'll be a grown up, you know. Maybe one day I'll I'll grow up and I'll be a big boy. Maybe one day I'll I'll be big enough to put on some big boy pants, and I won't be such a little. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I have a new rule. I don't know. I say that, but I'm re- my memory kind of sucks. Maybe this has always been the rule, and I just don't remember am I an idiot? For days now I've been feeling like I've been, I almost said this multiple times in the last few days. I went to uh, the Bay with uh, Madison and I almost said this to her like five times, but I never said this out loud because it doesn't sound cool as a phrase, but I almost said it feels like my memory bank isn't plugged in in my brain. Like that's just what it feels like. And then that sounds like Such a not-clever way to say something (laughs) that I think five different times. I just was sitting, squinting, trying to think, trying to remember. I'm like, I can't think of anything. It just feels like the whole thing is unplugged. And I was like... And then I just opt opt against... Can you say that? How do you use the word opt? Anyway, um... So I don't know if I've said this a million times, but I think the new rule for the podcast needs to be that I shouldn't talk about things if I don't really want to talk about them. There was just one episode where it was like an hour and a half of me sort of begrudgingly mentioning stories and redacting everything because it was shit that I shouldn't talk about. And... The whole time I was like not laughing at, it, not enjoying myself, just sort of feeling bad that I'm saying anything about it and trying to hold back. And I felt so shit about that episode. And then the next episode, I just felt real good about. Um, I'm not talking about the last episode. The last episode I felt good about, the one before that I felt, felt terrible about. And the one I felt terrible about, Tristan was like, that's your most boring. Tristan unprompted came at me and was like, that was the most boring episode you've ever done. And you know what? That didn't, that hurt my feelings because it did, but it almost didn't hurt my feelings because it's true. And because I knew it, knew, uh, I don't even know how to talk. <laughs> God. Ooh, okay. It is one fifty. Th- no, it's 12.53 AM. Let's not exaggerate. Ooh, that, that reminds me of another thing that I, thought of. I, I have things in my brain, but I haven't written anything down. So I've thought of my first sort of lesson for myself when it comes to manage- <laughs> management. Why is that so funny? It's so funny to think of me as managing something. It is hilarious to me. It is a real knee slapper. But anyway, the the first thing I've my first lesson for myself, this is really how I need to frame it, because, like, these are really obvious things that no one else is going to learn anything from, but I'm a complete moron, so I didn't get this. I didn't get this, so... I had to I had to make the mistake. It's like, I come from a long line of people exaggerating patrilineally i come from a long i have a long heritage of exaggerators in my family my grandfather famously not famously to anyone but hold on i have to turn my big computer off sorry i forgot my big gaming rig on while i started recording and there's a humming and i it it was distracting me and And it, I felt like it was fucking up the audio quality. Jesus, we are now dealing with some, some really, really clinical silence. So my grandfather, my dad's, my, it's so annoying and weird to me how in English you have these super unspecific terms for family members. And Swedish is right in the middle where, uh, you know, your dad's dad, he's called, he's called your, your father's father, and you just put the words together. And so it's kind of specific. And then in Chinese, they have a hilarious specificity. And it is so impossible to, like, uh, one day in Chinese class, everyone runs into this, anyone learning Mandarin, you're given just the paper with all the family words on it. And it's like, your aunt on your mother's side, who is the second oldest, and is like everyone has their own, completely just their own word. And it's like gugu and boo-poo and poo-poo and poo And it's like just all, like hundreds of words. Gugu is a big one, though. What is gugu? It's like some kind of grandmother. It's relevant because we have this new employee at work. Her name is Augustina. And apparently, Augustina, when you're from uh, Argentina... Your nickname is something like Agugu or Agu or something. And it's cool because Gugu in Chinese. It's cool. Be- ain't grandmother, right? Doesn't it mean grandmother? Oh, so complicated. There's like multiple Gugu's. Paternal aunt. <laughs> I knew it was a woman. I knew it's an older woman. Um. Oh, that's so nice, dude. So, yeah. I just, in my heart, I'm already called... I already think of her as Gugu, so I'm going to start calling her Gugu. Um, my other favorite one in Chinese is is Guai Shu Shu, which means Shu means uncle. They're all like that. The Moo Moo's and the Poopoo's and the Shu Um, Gugu means paternal aunt. Um, Shu Shu means I mean we say uncle, but it means something more specific than uncle. Father's younger brother. How great is that? Every such specificity. <laughs> and then in Swedish, it's like father's brother is the word. That's the level of specificity. In Chinese, it go more, one more level. Father's younger brother. And then in English, it's just uncle. The most you don't know if it's paternal. You just know that it's a man related to one of your parents. It's like, what's, what's wrong, guys? Why don't you want to know anything about stuff? Anyway, my grandfather, my dad's father, he, it's so weird to say dad's father because you're mixing. Uh, Anyway, I'm losing control of this. He was a huge exaggerator and he would read from the newspaper to his kids. And then because, and I really relate to it, is why I really feel, I feel it, man, I feel it. I had almost no relationship with this man, but in this stuff, I really feel it. It was handed down to me. He was reading from the newspaper and he wanted a big reaction. He wanted to read something and he wanted everyone to go, oh, what? And he, like that thing of telling a story and just having someone really react to the story, like it's a big story, like it's a big, like you you have the tea, like gossiping. That's why I'm such a big gossiper I'm a big exaggerator. I'm a big, I'm a big gossiper. And also a fucking, also, uh, I'm a podcaster. Uh. So he would read from the newspaper, my grandfather, and he would read the headlines. And in real time, he would read it wrong and make it a bigger story. So if it's like, you know, 12 people drowned in Nordhuen, he would read it and just be like wow 740 people drowned in nordhorn last night and everyone would be like 740 damn and it like it becomes this big conversation and he gets all this attention and it really like makes him feel good that people react to the story and then they would like reach over and want to read the article and he's like hiding the newspaper cuz if they read it they realize he's exaggerating like a motherfucker and my dad was always telling me how he always did that. He always he would always read things and read them pur- like incorrectly on purpose. Just his brain just in real time translating from the undramatic into the dramatic. You know, as a brain that you just feed undramatic information in one end into his ears or his eyes. And then out his mouth comes dramatic information. I just relate to that so much and my dad did the same thing just like absolute like donald trump esque relationship with numbers super my dad honestly is like a very unintelligent version of donald trump that is so mean my dad is not unintelligent he just he just can't find his car keys you know what i'm saying because he hasn't had a driver's license for decades so um what was i saying yeah big exaggerator my dad was a big exaggerator always just saying things with this great level of confidence as if you remembered numbers but just like the numbers were always everything was always wrong everything was always arranged into like this dramatic narrative huge exaggerations and that's like i have always exaggerated like a motherfucker and i it is actually one of those things where you Grow up in a family and you think something is normal and then you leave your family and you have these experiences now and again where you just encounter someone who is different and you didn't know that there were different people. So I'd, I'd exaggerate a little bit and people would be like, what? Took him four days to do that. I don't, took him four days. And I'm like, it took him 11 hours, but it's like, bro, I'm, I'm telling a story here. Like relax. And they're like, what? And they just, very plainly and earnestly don't understand what I mean when I exaggerate incredibly. I've had that experience many times. But so then um, what I've realized now I've been trying just to keep, I don't, I'm not managing anyone. I'm just trying to maintain continuity. That's really in my heart what I believe my current job to be. It's like I was handed the reins of something which is functioning already. And it is just my job to just maintain the continuity here. And if one piece of the puzzle is starting to fade away, just like scramble and find a similar piece of puzzle and stuff it into that hole and just maintain continuity. Just keep it going the way it's been going. That's the whole thing. So what that means is sometimes I have to have these like difficult conversations with people where I have to tell people like, you, you're doing it wrong. Or, like, I have to give feedback or suggestions for improvements. And then I was talking to my mom. It's so funny. My mom is like, works at a school and like manages some teachers and stuff. And she has this thing where she's like, That's what she calls it. It means three stars and a wish. It's so cute. It's like when you're gonna ask for someone to improve something first, say three make three little stars on the piece of paper and each to, next to each star you write something good that they're doing and then at the bottom it's the wish section and you write what you wish for the future and it's like the absolute softest wimpiest way you can tell someone off <laughs> so fucking funny oh god so yeah so stephanie um Really, you look really neat. <laughs> you look like you got the personal hygiene down. You know, you're always on time. You know, <laughs> and then you know, rem- wish. And if I can have a wish, you know, rem- remember to take payment. You know, <laughs> it's so funny to me. And the. I feel like the anglophone version of it is the sandwiching, which is that you like start and end with a compliment. You start with a compliment and then you're like lay into them a little bit and then you end with a compliment because then you can walk away and be like, well, I'm using my happy voice again because I'm ending this as a compliment. I think it was really, really great what you did that one day. All right, I'll talk to you later. And then you walk off and it's like the person is just devastated because you're like, you told them that. If you don't fix this, you know, you're getting fired tomorrow. Um, but it was really great what you did that one day. So what I'm getting to here is that I feel like a management lesson that I have for myself is that I have noticed that when I, people love to argue. You describe what the problem is that they're creating. Like you just describe the situation. And then people are like, nah, I want to argue with you. And then it's like, any exaggeration there gives them an out to argue about how that's not completely true because you're actually exaggerating a little bit. And that's, that always, the whole thing comes off the rails immediately. It's like, no, 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 that's not true. It's like, you know, I was talking to someone and it's like, I was like, look, I had to I, I have to go into your, like, if it's a mess in your section, I have to go in, I have to do this thing. It's like, all the tables have plates on them. She's like, no, not all the plate. No, two tables had plates on them. And then it turned into this big thing where I, she's like, why did you say all of the tables had plates on them? And I'm like, bro, I'm telling a story. I'm like, all of, I'm, I'm walking through this restaurant, all of the tables look like a mess. And the truth is two tables looked like a mess. And when I say all of them, I'm trying to paint this like colorful image. Like, it was a mess. There was soup in the ceiling. But really, two tables hadn't been, um, they had not been pre-bust. Proper steps of service had not been adhered to. Um, you know, we were skipping around. Checks were dropped. And I exaggerated. And because I exaggerated, the conversation didn't go well. I exaggerated and the conversation didn't go well. So I really have to... It takes a lot of focus for me. But so when I'm going to have difficult conversations with people, I need to not bring... I need to really work on bringing my own emotion into it because I feel so much emotion about everything. And even if I don't give a fuck about the situation, I just bring emotion into it because I can feel that the other... I mentioned this last time. Because I can feel how the other person really cares about the outcome of this conversation because it's like I have all this power or whatever. So it's like just because they care, I'm like... Gets, I get so flustered. I get so flustered but i really do believe that i there is there's nothing wrong with my basic personality type for this because i think i can be really empathetic and i think i can really um in the end like there's people i get so so frazzled by them and then i can i do like to even with my nemesis be like look there it's a person and And I I I do choose, oh God, I'm such a, so self-congratulatory. Anyway, that's my first little lesson for myself. Focus, just say it the way it is. Say it plainly, don't infuse it with too much emotion and do not exaggerate at all. And have a conversation plainly. And I'm going to have to remember this for myself tomorrow. Oh boy, am I going to have to remember this for myself tomorrow. Oh yeah, what I forgot to say is my favorite Chinese family word phrase is guai shu," which means, shushu um, means father's younger brother. And guai means weird. So it's weird uncle is how it's usually um, translated. But it means pedophile. It means pedophile. And it is a deeply unsettling euphemism for a pedophile. You know, it's one of those old world things where you're just like, yeah, what is it? You know, he's a little bit handsy. I fucking hate that we don't. Oh, is this a thing that I shouldn't talk about? Because I can't really talk about it. But it's like someone told me someone at work had this problem with a person that was like creepy and, and the person got fired. And and then. Much, much later, very recently, the person who was a victim of something told me again about another person and it that, that that was it's a very specific thing, which is this thing of how when you're moving around physically in a space and you're trying to pass each other, there's this thing that some men do where they like will just grab a woman by her waist as you're passing her to like move her so that you don't crash into her. But it's like there's different ways of doing that. Like, if I have to do it, I'm literally going to crash into someone. I literally just shove an index finger into their shoulder. And I'm like, okay, stop. And then I, like, shove them to the side with my index finger in their shoulder. And I'm like, all right, so I'm right fucking here. And you're about to crash the fuck into me, you know? And I just shove them around. I just steer them around with an index finger in their shoulder. And then there's this, like, sweaty-faced old man way of doing it, this 1950s way of doing it, where you, like your coworker is 20 years old and you like grab her entire waist with your both hands and you just like move her around like a piece of furniture. And I hate that she didn't, she said it like in passing as a response to something that was related. Like there's no space. God damn it. It's almost like in a perfect world, we would have a thing where every week you have to think, and be like, did anyone do anything creepy to me? And you're actively asked that every week and then there's a a field that you have to anonymously fill out and then that's how you get information about people because it's like, it's so everything about it makes you not want to talk about it and then not talking about it is so much something that makes everything worse. And maybe I'm just virtue signaling, but I don't know. I... I don't know. It's like creepy stuff happens all the time. And I really wonder if people, if, like I'm 35 years old. I've been in, I've had so many 10 second interactions, you know, maybe I've had a million 10 second interactions and did, oh God. And it's like inconceivable that no one ever thought I was creepy, right? This is now getting into – it's funny because I, I was thinking how this was going to be a super short episode because I have nothing to talk about, but this is really getting into like some – one of the major things that I – I was toying with the idea of the podcast being this thing of – I think I talked about this probably 70 episodes, about, but it's 70 episodes ago, like somewhere in the beginning, but I really wanted – and I don't think I can do it. It's just too hard to do. It needs to be done with someone with like some clout. But I really wanted to open up a conversation, like to interview men and have them talk about things that they feel guilty about because it feels so, it only does a part of the work to have women get to talk about how they were victimized by something. Now I'm talking about this in a very narrow sort of like heteronormative you know, straight people where women are victims and men are perpetrators. But <clears throat> what do I know? Like, I do think that maybe 78% of all fucking creepiness happens in that, you know, maybe 99% of all fucking creepiness is that dynamic of it's like creepy dudes on, on crept on women. But I just wanted it to be, it, it, it's very helpful to open up the conversation and let women talk about and let women have a voice. And but I, If you want to talk, so then they can feel better having opened up. But if you really want to like make things better to where it doesn't happen, I really think men need to be part of the conversation. I sound like such a fucking neutered beta fucking virtue signaling bitch right now. But I do really think that it would be interesting if we could make the world a better place. And I do think that it's like men don't get it from that perspective. But it's like if men talked about shit that they felt guilty about, It could be a thing where either people are like, "Nah, you're feeling guilty about the wrong thing." That person that you did that to probably doesn't even remember that. Probably doesn't give a fuck. And then other stuff that come up comes up later that you maybe feel less guilty about. People could be like, "Yeah, that person that probably that person is probably sitting with that still, even though it's been twenty years." And I really want or wanted just that fucking thing of why isn't that something we can talk about when we get to know each other? Like when you first meet someone, there's a set of questions you can ask. Hey, where are you from? Hey, where the fuck did you go to school? Do you have a bachelor's degree? Hey, what's your stupid ass shoe size? And then when you really get to know each other, you can be like, What's your biggest fear? And then when you really get to know each other, you can be like, what's something really horrible that has happened to you? And then people can be like, well, I was, you know, someone beat the shit out of me once and just broke my nose. And like, or I was like in an abusive relationship or I had like some trauma in all these different ways. And you can open up about that. And, you know, you really get to know someone. But somehow the question of just like, Hey, what's some really fucked up thing that you feel really guilty about? Why isn't that part of the conversation? And then part of me, maybe secretly as I'm saying this now, I'm like allowing myself to play around with this idea because maybe truly in a way, I feel like I've never really, really broken the rules. And maybe I don't have anything that I'm that 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 super guilty about. So it's like more that I want to nail other people on shit. Like I want to interview dudes and have them like open up about some shit, but I'm but I don't have anything to say. And it's like, oh, how great, Joachim. How great that you're the one fucking asking this stupid ass question, but you don't have anything to say. Like, hey, you go first. <laughs> you know, like what's that guy? Oh, what's it's so funny, I, my favorite comedian, I can never remember what his name is. His name is Shane Gillis. His name is Shane Gillis. He's uh my favorite stand-up comedian for sure. There's a 30-minute thing where he's like live in Austin at the Austin City Limits or something. Or no, maybe that's like the um my the Phoebe Bridgers live show that I really like where she's live in live in Austin, but but he's live in Austin in some other format, some fucking comedy thing. And there's a 30-minute with him that I love, but he has this one joke where he's like it's interesting to think back on early america where they were gonna decide all the founding fathers and the representatives from the different states and stuff where they all came together and we're gonna decide what should the age of consent be you know what's it called in english like the fucking statutory fucking rape age limit or whatever we're like if you have sex with them in in america uh, is this even true? If you are sex with someone younger than 18, it's like always rape or whatever. I don't actually think that's true now that I'm saying it out loud. But the Shane Gillis thing is hilarious because it's like, in a way, you have to, when you are going to decide, when you're a big group of men in a room, and you're representing all the different states of the U.S., and you're trying to draft like a set of open, of laws, like an like you know, a first sort of like your first set of laws. Someone has to go first. Someone has to come up with the first suggestion, and you can't all be like. So what? Where where should we put age consider? Like how old? When is it rape? And then he's like, and from Rhode Island, thirteen. And everyone's like, ew, thirteen, bro. And then the guy from Rhode Island is like, what? I did. Why did I have to go first? and it's it's such a funny um i don't know it's just such a funny concept to me <laughs> the concept of going first with stuff that's difficult but with this it is the same thing where it's like i really think for the world to be a better place you have to um you have to somehow open up the thing on it's so weird because we we have like interviews with serial killers and people that do all different kinds of fucked up shit. And we have like TV shows like Mind of a Killer or like just things trying to unpack the psychology of something. But we have so little of like, I I have not never seen a single interview where someone like admits to raping someone and you unpack why. I think I have in the sense where it's like if they murder them at the end, then you can do it. Then you can do the interview and if they eat them at the end, and they're a fucking Jeffrey Dahmer cannibal, then sure, do the interview, open up about it. But when it's just, when it's just like you didn't murder them, it was like some party, and it was just really bad on consent, like the stuff. How most of the stuff is, ah, oh, oh, what a downer topic, huh? What a downer topic, but I don't know. Anyway, so I do have a thing where where um it's the most vague instance I've had of consent and it's um it's just a thing where like yeah it was like there was this girl and she was like too drunk and then we, like, made out a little bit. But she was, like, really, really drunk. And then we, like, took a taxi to my house. And then I did make the good decision of, like, clearly being, like, well, I'm not going to have sex with this girl because she's, like, too drunk. But so she, like, fell asleep in my bed and I fell asleep next to her. And then... oh, So I'm really going to just talk about this. It's so funny. And then... Like, everything about it is the, like, no one got murdered. And it's like, there was a lot of, like, friend of a friend kind of thing going on. Like, I'm still Facebook friends with not the girl, but all of her friends. And i kind of known her friend for a while and stuff. But so this girl, like, sleeps in my bed. And then I slept with her the next morning. And then it's, like, this vague thing of, like, Well, the next morning, are you sober? Are you sober enough? And it's like, what time was it? Like, was it 2 a.m. in the morning? Because then you're probably still wasted. And then it's probably still very morally questionable. But it wasn't. The sun was up. Does that make it okay? If you come home wasted at 1.30 and then when the sun is up? And then I didn't immediately really question any part of it ethically, but then, um, like, we, like, slept together or whatever, like, had sex, and then we fell back asleep, and then three, four hours later, we woke up, and I was a little bit hungover, and I was like, you want to go downstairs and have some Japanese food, and we went downstairs and ordered, like, salt-grilled mackerel, and some miso soup and some skewers and stuff, you know. Some shiitake mushroom, just some button, mushroom buttons on a barbecue skewer and stuff. Hit it with some good, you know, some sweet sort of like hoishin sauce, like Japanese style hoisin sauce. Maybe there was like a corn on the cob thing involved. Some water, lots of water. Tea. We drank tea and ate Japanese food for breakfast, and she said, "I didn't mean to have sex with you." That's what she said. And uh, that's when I was like, "Oh, oh, I just didn't feel good about that. I didn't feel it didn't feel... yeah, guilt, I don't know. it's not that complicated just guilt. I just felt guilty about it because I was like, fuck. Well, what does that mean? Like, I don't know that I said that. I think I... I don't know what I responded, honestly. I don't know what I responded, but I think I just sort of have those words sort of seared into my brain a little bit because it was the vagueness of it. Because I think the vagueness is... There's always a lot of vagueness and there's always so much where women sort of um, in the moment act like everything is cool because that's how you don't fall apart. So you have to just act like everything is cool and then you're acting like everything is cool, but there's a little bit of vagueness. And I think so many times it's like that's all men have. Let's drink a water. So this week we're doing cherry. This week we're doing cherry and talking about consent. Real downer episode. So fucking crazy. Um, So this is Clearly Canadian. I think this is the last of the Clearly Canadians. Sometimes when I have a brand that I think is real fun... I do get a certain sadness when I get to the last one. Product of Canada. And so I'm drinking this now, and then I'll never drink Clearly Canadian on the pot again. Which reminds me of that Sam Harris thing where he's like, considering how something might be the last time you're doing it can imbue any moment of your mundane life with just the magic of that we get to experience anything. Oh, God. Yeah. All right, let's try this. Oh, smells disgusting. Yeah, that's really bad. That's two out of ten. Still, it's magical, though, because I'll never have Clearly Canadian on the pot again. It's like Sam Harris's thing is like... Every time you pick up your kid, it just feels so fucking mundane, but realize that you don't know when it's the last time because there's this slow build towards the end. So much in life is like the slow build, like skiing. There's so many things we do like not all the time. And when you do it for the last time in your entire life, you don't know that that's going to be the last time. And like, I have a weird way of enjoying movies and uh, movies and um, books where, like every time I read a book, I'm only sort of half reading it because part of my brain is thinking like yeah, I'm not very focused on this, but it's pretty good. So like I have to read it again. So I'm going to read it a second time. So I'm going to save the really th- big thinking for the next time I read it. And so I like don't really think about it. And my every couple of fucking thoughts I just Feel like nah, that thought is like too heavy and big for this time around. So I'll save it for the next time I read it. And as I read an entire book, I have that thought so many times while reading the book that at the end of the book, I've had, I've had, I've thought like two hundred times that oh, next time I read this, I'm really gonna unpack this thought that I have here related to this. But right now I can't remember the whole thing, so I just like. By the end of the book, I have this enormous pent-up desire to read uh, the book again, but then I never do. God, I totally lost track of myself there. Yeah, this is really, I don't know, it's a very, now every part of this podcast feels like it's looming, not looming, there's something looming over it, it's like this podcast, this uh, second this part of the podcast is existing in the enormous gargantuan shadow of me talking about how that consent problematic consent story and and it sort of like begs this question i'm like so what happened so like and it's like yeah no it was like two people some wasted girl falls asleep in my bed and i fall asleep in my bed because i'm like She's really pretty but she's way too wasted So I can't have sex with her Because that would be totally unethical And then you wake up Seven hours later and the sun is up And then you sort of kiss the person And the person is like Kissing you back And then you just sort of like move around And you just sort of like Have sex after a while And then it's like At no point Is there like I don't know it makes me sad, though. I, God damn it. I think, honestly, I, I don't think I probably didn't do anything terrible that day. And I don't think it is one of those things that she's sitting with 20 years later. It's probably been 10 years since this happened. Um, but it really weighs on me that the vagueness of it and the not knowing and and sort of knowing that I think a lot of men, like probably, I don't know. I don't know what the split is. Like how many of horrible experiences that women have lead to a man having, like does it weigh on men? Or do they just come up with a really foolproof narrative in their own head of how it was all good. Cause I think maybe in a vast majority of cases, it's like this very foolproof narrative because it's, it's like inflicting harm on someone's mind through experiences of, of sexual trauma, where one person is sort of like pushing themselves on a second person it's like not as clear as murdering someone like when you murder someone that does really sit on your conscience probably because i don't know i don't know it's probably true that a lot of things that we feel guilty about we we i mean we come up with narratives about everything to make us feel make ourselves feel less guilty but it, there's just something about vagueness of consent and there's so many reasons that make them – there's so many things that make it more vague and that make, make it less clear to, like, the perpetrator. You know, I talked about this in, like um, – there is an episode of the pod. It's, like, episode 35 or something where I, I was talking about how I saw a spider when I was naked and it made me more, more afraid because I was naked than if I had not been naked while I saw the spider. And then I made me talk about the TV show Naked and Afraid, which at the time I hadn't seen. But I just found the title of the TV show so evocative. And then the funny thing is that I just, me and Madison went to uh, San Francisco for, for two nights and saw a concert and like ate a bunch of food and did different stuff and... And we were chilling in a hotel room watching hotel TV, which I love, because it's real TV. It's real TV, and there's a a remote, and you can just put it on, and it's like Law & Order and all this crazy shit. It's like reruns of shitty sitcoms and so much reality TV. And then there was Naked and Afraid, and I didn't sleep until like 5 a.m. that night because I had to watch it till the end. And I watched like this Naked and Afraid marathon so that the whole next day was like i was like dizzy of how tired i was and i just it was the weirdest show because they are completely naked and they drop them in the desert in arizona and they blur out their their genitals and the boobs and so it's like it's just so immature like it's so asexual they're so dirty and they are so ugly and they're so hungry and they're suffering And the whole thing is so asexual, but they have to blur it because they're so fucking Presbyterian or whatever. And I just wish that it was fucking HBO doing it so you could just like see this girl with like a super dusty vagina just like complaining that she can't find a caterpillar to eat. Like she's trying to eat anything in the desert. She's just starving. Barely any water. Chewing on like a root of a cactus just dusted up. And then their faces are so hilariously dirty. And I'm like, do you think they made their faces that dirty as a joke to make it look more dramatic? And Maddie just looked at me with this, like she's has such so much wisdom and so much knowledge. And I have so many questions and she has so many answers. And she's like, yeah, it's great sunscreen. And I'm like, Oh, the second you hear it, it's like, makes perfect sense. Cause you're literally outdoors just all day beating Arizona sun you would be absolutely obliterated immediately without sunscreen. And you don't have sunscreen, but the um, it just just put a bunch of dirt on your face. It's perfect. But, so what I was going to say is, like, there's really something specific there, like, that's different. There's something specific about sexual trauma that's different from, like, other viol- violence-induced trauma, where, like, if you get stabbed it makes you feel fucking crazy and bad and traumatizes the fuck out of you. And everything about that situation is now gonna, anything that reminds you of that similar of the time you got stabbed, it's gonna fucking scare the shit out of you. But there's just another level to if you're also naked at the same time. There's something really specific and animalistic about, like even the deepest animal brain, the deepest reptilian crocodile part of your brain just has this feeling of insecurity when you're naked. <sighs> I'm really yawning. This is really like not going to turn into an episode. Um. So yeah, it's funny because it's like I think men should talk about the thing that they feel guilty about, and then it's hard to go first. And I think I went. F- I, I just I I went first. I went first and now I feel bad about it, but I shouldn't. This next water, the brand is called Gold Emblem, which is uh, such a funny, fancy name for something so shitty. And I bought it at CVS and it's CVS's own cheap ass brand. And it's funny because the expiration date I'm noticing is February 14th, which is Valentine's Day. So you're going to want to drink this on Valentine's Day, not a day later. Um, cherry limeade. Unsweetened cherry limeade sparkling water. Zero calories. Unsweetened cherry limeade. That means it could be tart, but it's not going to be. because This is America and people, people go with sugar. Oh, that is so light and much nicer than I thought. Ooh. You know, the real sparkling seal of approval is that some waters... After I reviewed them and finished the episode, I just put the cap back on, and I put them back in the fridge, and I like drink them the day after. And the other ones, they just sit, dude. They sit, and I don't touch them, and it's like, they go down the drain. I pour a lot of sparkling water down the drain. Uh, oh, man, almost opened the next water there. Um, So the Clearly Canadian was like a 2 out of 10. This one was like an 8 out of 10. I'm into it. Yeah, so I was in San Francisco. I don't know if there's anything like really that I want to unpack there. It's it was a very it was a very fun trip. There's um it's a shame how everything sucks. Like there's homeless people everywhere and violent crime and a really really hilarious amount of human feces on the sidewalk everywhere. And how that's how all the big cities in America are, and um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. This one time in in Shanghai, I um, I was living on Lu and I was working out southwest in Minhang District, and I took a taxi, and you you start out in the center of Shanghai and it's all high rises. And then you get further out into Minhang is an enormous outer skirt district. And it gets dustier and dustier. And like the 32 story buildings become 23 story buildings. And then most of the buildings are six story buildings. And then you get to these like dusty kind of open spaces. And then in the center, what is that called in America in, in English? The median, that the, the thing between you and the oncoming traffic sometimes when there's a separating thing. Like just uh, with uh where you have some plants and shit. Maybe it's called a median. Center console is a really useful word that I learned very recently that I have to use all the time because shit's always in the center console. Like, until I bought a, a car a year and a half ago, I did not know this word. And now it's like, damn, look in the center console. It's really the... I'm upstairs of car life. Um, But so I'm in Shanghai and I'm in a taxi and and I see this lady pooping there in the middle of the street, in the median, between the the ferns, you know? They planted some ferns on this dusty street and I see this old, old lady and she's got a skirt and she's pooping. And I I always thought of that as like, I don't know, there's something about Sweden, where Sweden is like so neat, and everything is so clean, and like Americans go there, and anyone who goes there, people are always like, damn, you guys have a clean situation. Like you could eat off of those streets. And we kept it so clean, and maybe it's a little bit less clean in the last 10 years, but but it's very clean. And then so seeing that Chinese old lady pooping, it was always this thing where it's like, I really had to wrestle with myself to be like, to not turn it into a thing where I was like, well, these people are crazy. And I just had to really come up with an explanation model where I was like, it's just different. And most of these people were born on, all of these people were born on farms and they wandered off the farm and they are in cities now and they are putting suits on and working in offices and they got water coolers and And some of those water coolers are not even plugged in, but we're going, you know, and we're ripping. And sometimes a little bit of the farm life slips out, you know. Sometimes you're in a really, really clean, perfect, beautiful high-rise, like an 80-story high-rise made of like black glass. And everything's polished and everything's perfect and everything's like hyper-modern. And you go to like the 60th floor and it's like a mall and all of the stores are just like these frosted glass backlit sort of like booths selling makeup. And it's all the most expensive makeup brands and everyone is like perfect in there. And everyone looks like a flight attendant in like a flight attendant uniform from the future and everything's so perfect. And then you like grab the wrong door and get into like a stairwell. And there's just like 2000 cigarettes in a pile. And just the ash from 2,000 cigarettes dusting the entire floor. And there's just like three gremlin-out fucking suited-up dudes crouching next to the cigarettes. And they look up at you and they got these really gremlin-y eyes and, and you're just like, oh, all right. And it's a little bit like peeking behind the curtain. But I don't know. I always had an explanation model for that. And then... You go to the big cities in America now and it's like, God damn it, fuck. It's so depressing to me because there's a culture war around it where I'm taking sides and I'm a liberal and I'm like, no. But it's wrong. What I was thinking there is actually wrong. Because what I'm saying is not, no, homelessness doesn't exist. That's not the liberal stance. The liberal stance is homelessness is like a fucking scourge and we need to do shit about it. But the problem is, the reason it feels, I mean, there are many reasons. Why it feels like the liberals lost that culture war. Like all these big liberal cities where they threw a lot of money at the problem, the problem didn't really get that good. And most of these cities have been run by, you know, they've been blue for decades and everything sucks. Not everything sucks. So many things are great in these big cities, you know? So many progressive framework laws about how how life is going is awesome. And so much in California is really good like healthcare law in California is actually wonderful where anyone who doesn't have a lot of means really kind of effectively has free healthcare. And it's really a very well functioning system but it's like homelessness though dude and the pooping on the street? It's like I'm really struggling with an explanation model. Like <laughs> like, like what? How did we how do we let something get this bad? I don't know. I guess I'm just pissed off because my my freaking MAGA uncle, my Fox News uncle. He just has so much ammunition there. He's like, we can't even go into San Francisco anymore. San Francisco's dead. It's over. And then that's what Fox News is telling him. And then I want to be a liberal and be like, it's not over. You can go in there. It's still a beautiful city. But then I go in there and it's like, the no- yeah, I mean, look, I sent a picture of this to my little group chat with my coworkers. But, like, you, we saw all these poops. And then this one time we saw a poop... Where someone had literally put poop into a something, some sort of funnel, something like a piping bag from the great British Bake Off show where you are piping on a cake to make, to make the frosting perfectly fucking decorative. And they literally wrote neat letters with poop. They wrote the word quilt, spelled wrong with poop on the sidewalk and some of it was smeared but you could tell that it started out real neat and it wasn't straight from a butthole into that shape it's impossible it went into a it went to a second location before it went to a third location you know what i'm saying and it is out of control like we cannot be doing that all right let me drink another water so this is crystal geyser Sparkling spring water with carbonation. Sparkling water with carbonation is a... Dude, I love these redundancies. Like, how is it that we're so bad at this? I don't get it. Natural black cherry flavor. More than one liter in this bottle. That's great. Oh, now that's the type of cherry flavor that I hate. Oh, I hate cherry as a flavor. Oh. What does it remind me of? It just coats the inside of my mouth. It just reminds me of a dentist's office or like some sort of hospital equipment. It's just so artificial. It reminds me, it just makes me gag. It just doesn't do anything to any part of my mouth except the back of my throat where it just makes everything convulse and it just makes me want to fucking throw up. So that's a zero out of ten right there. All right, new topic. I had a weird connection today. I mean, um, connection. I had a weird thing where I remembered two different memories that happened 15 years apart that are exact opposites of each other. So one of these, it's people saying the complete opposite thing to me. And one of them I am much closer to, so I will be much better at recounting what, what it is. So, something like ten, probably a little bit more than ten years ago, I came back after living like five years in Shanghai, and I didn't have an apartment in Lund, and I stayed with my buddy Ingrid at her house in Lund quite a bit, and because she, she had like a two bedroom and stuff, and and there, and famously, she wrote uh, on the walls all over that place, and she wrote. Uh, terror in paradise over the bathroom, which is, I've said this many times on the podcast, it's an expression I love in relation to um, having a deli belly, needing to go to the bathroom, having any bathroom related problem, you'll hear me say terror in paradise. And then um, what happened in this story or in this micro memory that I had, it was that I peed, I used to be a really scatterbrained person. I used to be really scattered. And this was like an extremely scattered um, period of my life. And I've talked many times about how this one time while staying with Ingrid, I lost my passport. I just misplaced it. And then in a bout of just anxiety around having misplaced something and being so scattered, I got so weird that I was sleep. I started sleepwalking and I sleepwalked in and lay down in her bed next to her and we woke up in the same bed and she was really stressed out but um (laughs) uh, anyway um I was I peed in her bathroom I peed in the toilet when I say that I peed in her bathroom it sounds like I missed sounds like I missed the toilet but I peed in the toilet bowl correctly and then I didn't flush because I forgot to and because I was scattered. I was so scattered. I was it was pre-meditation me. Pre-meditation me used to be incredibly scattered. And and I used to forget a phone charger in every room I was in, you know? But then I um I forget to flush and I have peed and she asks me about it. She's like, "You didn't flush." Is that like is that like some habit you picked up in China or something where you don't flush after you pee? Or is that like a cultural thing? Like she asked in a judgy Swedish way, but really also she asked in an open-minded sort of, she was actually asking kind of way. And there was no cultural thing about it. There was just me being scatterbrained, me being incredibly scattered. And so I... I just got nervous and didn't even respond. And then ever since I have flushed like three times because I'm such a like neurotic scattered person. So that's one memory. That's one memory. Ingrid making me feel super guilty about not flushing after peeing. And then a year ago, last Christmas, Brie who I wasn't dating at the time, but we are still friends. And she is a real sweetheart and she knows how lonely I get. And she invites me along and she invited me to a big Christmas dinner. Because it's Christmas. It's Christmas and she knows that I'm completely alone. So I go to what she calls the Dolphin House, which is a house on Dolphin Street or whatever. It's next to a road called Dolphin. No, Delphine. Delphine Road or whatever. It's not actually on Delphine. It's on one over whatever. It's on Mother Forty Nine. Who cares? The point is that oh, it's actually funny because when I was looking, so so there's a guy who has the he doesn't own it, but he's renting this place and he has different friends stay there, and it's like a four bedroom, so it's a big collective, you know, it's a big hippie commune. And when I was looking for a house. I knew that he was, oh, sorry, I'm so tired. I knew that he was looking for a roommate. And then Natasha literally, this is how small this town is. Natasha literally sent me a Facebook ad being like, oh, I know you're looking for a place. I'm really worried about you. Maybe you should move in here. And it's like four photos and it's photos of the Dolphin House. And it's the Dolphin House living room. And it's where I sat and had Christmas dinner. And while we were having Christmas dinner, In the place that the photo was in the ad that Natasha sent me. Of the fucking ad of the house that I already know. While we're having Christmas dinner, we're talking about different things. And different issues. And how fucked up it is in the big cities in America. And I'm not liking the vibe. And it's not a right-wing vibe. But it is like a not-my-basket-of-opinions vibe. So... And it's a strong anti-vaxxer vibe. And it's different things I don't love. But then we get to this one thing where this one hippie guy takes up a lot of space in the room. And he's a little bit of a mansplainer. And he's a little bit like very domineering and annoying and alpha about everything he's saying. Trying to be alpha. And he says, he has this big thing about we're wasting so much water as a society. And like there's people out there who flush after they pee. They just pee and then they flush. Like there's people like there in this society. And he has this like really fiery speech about like the drought and how evil those people are and like people that don't have a good compost going. Like, but there's people out there who, who fucking flush after they pee. And, and he's like, and you might not believe it, but those people exist and they are out there. And then he like shifts the camera around. And he's like, and maybe some of them are even in this room. Maybe some of them are even sitting at this table right now. (laughs) (laughs) You fucking maniac hippie. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) And I'm just like, bro, I haven't not flushed after peeing like in 15 years, bro. Like grow up, dude. Fuck this planet. Fuck the drought. And then I turn into like Ice Boy Plumbing because Ice Boy Plumbing has this big rant about how like how everything is a scam and just because you use water doesn't take water out of the system and water scarcity is a lie because we have the same amount of water always and it's like the answer, answer to those stupid things is kind of complicated actually and and, like, why is a water treatment plant bad and stuff? I'm actually kind of curious, and I don't really know how to explain it very well. I just trust people when they say that there's a problem. Also, one thing is definitely that we have the same amount of water all the time, but we have more and more people. Um, but, but Ice Boy Plumbing also thinks that overpopulation is a myth because they, they want to control us. Um... But it's just, I, it struck me today how I have these two small micro memories because both were the same feeling. That hippie looked at me and he pointed at me out in the crowd because I wasn't wearing fucking burlap, you know? I wasn't wearing earthy tone burlap. I was probably wearing skinny jeans. I was probably wearing a well, like, an, like a t-shirt that actually fit like a nice material Zara T-shirt, and everyone else is wearing, like, you know, blades of grass that they've rubbed together and slung over their shoulder, together with, like, discarded fucking construction materials, old packaging materials, just wearing fucking crop tops made of fucking packaging materials. Um, so he... Picks me out in the crowd around this fucking Christmas dinner. And um, he made me feel so ashamed of flushing after peeing. And I was like, <sighs> I felt so like he's, the the thing too is that he's probably right, you know? But it's like, I don't want the house to smell like pee. And also, can I just live, you know? Like, it's so, on some level, the argu- all the arguments devolve into just like, Can I just live? Like, there are too many problems. And I... (laughs) Oh, it's not a very good argument. Can I just live is not a good argument. We should be doing better. I'm not doing good. I'm not a good person. Why am I feeling like this? I'm feeling like a terrible person right now. Oh, this episode is so problematic. I'm such a bad person. I flush after I pee. And he made me feel really ashamed of myself. And somehow it was the same shame mirrored as what Ingrid made me feel. When she was like, did you pick up some strange oriental habit of uh, not flushing after you pee? Just because you were in China for five years? Like, uh, do we need to bring you back into the fold here, buddy? Bud? Hey. Hey, are you listening? Hey, bud, I'm upstairs. Yeah, I don't know. It was bad. Here's another thing that I, I was thinking about. It's um, This is a real micro thought. This is hopefully something that I'm not going to talk about for more than 30 seconds. The phrase, think about what you did, is a really fucking funny phrase. Because I'm such a ruminator. I'm such a like, I have no control over how much I ruminate. I ruminate a whole heck of a lot. And I think about the same thing over and over. And it's what it's mistakes I made, or it's people I'm mad at, or it's like problems, or things I'm anxious about, and I think about it over and over and over. And then there's this concept of like, in child rearing, we think that when a child makes a mistake, you can tell the child, hey, think about what you did. And it's like forced rumination. And does that really work? If you tell a child to think about what they did, do they really, like what you really ask in the child is to do personal work. To like sit down with their own feelings and emotions and really think like, why did I do that? Why did I throw sand in the eyes of my little sister? why did i do that and it's like can you force rumination it reminds me of this thing that i've i i it would be a miracle if i haven't told the story on the podcast before but because i've told it in real life a few times recently it's it's like this crazy sociopath thing i did when i was probably look i was probably like 11 and my sister was probably like seven And we had a small sandbox out in the yard or in the back. It was like a townhouse. I don't know the words for this. Like every architectural structure, like housing arrangements are a little bit different in each country. So the words are a little bit different, but they're like connected houses with a front yard and a backyard. Um. So in our backyard, we have a little picket fence and everything. And there's like a fucking plum tree and a small sandbox with sand in it and a small little rake to just play and rake the fucking dirt and sand and different stuff. And everything is kind of fakey and plastic and there's like a plastic shovel and stuff. But the rake is kind of a real rake with like a long wooden handle that's probably like three, four feet and a metal real sort of like it's got real teeth on it and my sister is indoors and i i bury the rake so that it sticks up so that the teeth of the rake these sharp just basically just nails are sticking up and i i bury it super super gently just below the sand so that they're sticking up so that if you just walk over the sand you will the bottom of your foot will be completely fucking impaled by this nail and then just so happens my sister jumps into the sandbox and lands perfectly on it, and her foot is completely impaled by a nail—a rusty fucking nail—deep into her um, foot. And then my grandmother, my my fucking gugu, poor. How do you say grandmother? Uh, why poor? mm, um, Why poor? Which is a weird word. Maternal grandmother. Um. Reminds me of that rhyme. Yow a yow. Yao, thou wai po chao, which means, you row and you row and you row until you get to the fucking maternal grandmother's bridge, and it's some spooky, spooky fucking ghost rhyme or some shit. It's the name of a bunch of horror movies and scary stories. But, but so, and then my grandmother, my wai po, she looked at me and and um, she was like, "Why did you do that? Do that?" And I could tell that she was um, um. Really asking yourself in that moment if I was a complete sociopath and was going to grow up to be a serial killer. But I think it's normal that kids push the boundaries and do a couple of shitty things. And then you just have to hope that they learn from those things. And so I'm wondering, like in that moment, if someone had, well, I don't know. First of all, what if someone had slapped me around a little bit? I think, I think what you want almost is rumination. And you can't force rumination, but I do think that slapping a kid around distracts from it because it puts you in a really non contemplative state. This, I, so I've been reading, um, The Body Keeps the Score, and it's really about the different mind states that we have and how any trauma and like the states after trauma are so stupid. Like we're way less smart. And we don't understand things very well when we're traumatized and we we just make more mistakes and we stay. And it's like a really disenfranchised state to be traumatized. And it's a real handicap. And I really think that there's something there about personal work and like you want to get a kid to think about what they did, but slapping them around is probably going to put them in this like really stupid animal state of just wanting to defend themselves and coming up with really basic narratives in their head about how they need to get away with it next time. And they need to flee faster. And, and not like, it will not lead to enlightenment, if you know what I mean. And I really wonder though, in a way my grandmother really, in a way she really fucking did a good job there. Because she was like, why did you do that? And it was like a question That you can't really, I I remember saying something like I was just playing like I was just doing and she like knew that I wasn't just playing and I did it on purpose and I was like it was just an accident or whatever but it wasn't an accident and it's like somehow she got to me there and I started ruminating and I was like am I a fucking sociopath and I was like 11 years old but it's one of my, it's an early memory of like deep shame and I don't know, something, it's something tricky. Anyway, we got to call it. That's an episode. It's fucking 2.17 a.m. And I have to be at work in the morning. I love you guys.